Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. the center of the galaxy this is the four center podcast feed and this particular episode is one of our deep dives we are going to dive deep into the high republic book a test of courage by justina ireland i am joseph scripture i'm ken knapsack happy to be here discussing this wonderful book technically a middle grade reader which is weird because i finally felt i could comprehend it 
Yeah, as a middle grade reader, but you know, I did not feel in any way uh, like uh, I was not being uh, tested as well uh, by all the ideas. A, a test of courage, uh, you know. I felt I felt like a mirror was being held up, and that was a a good challenge for a middle reader book. But we're going to dive into all of the uh, complexity and all of the great straightforward storytelling and action in this book. But first, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and thirty day free trial at audibletrial com slash four center over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week we are recommending the book we're about to talk about, A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland. So if you haven't listened uh, or read it yet, uh, just push pause on this podcast. We have like a thousand other uh, Star Wars podcasts you can listen to uh, and then give a listen to A uh, Test of Courage and then come back here for our discussion. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. And we have another offer going right now, Ken. We do. Inside Editions, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books, is offering 35% off across their entire website with a special Force Center code. To get your discount, enter the coupon code FC35 or visit the website with this link, InsideEditions.com slash discount slash FC35. FC35. This week, we're recommending the Inside Editions book, Star Wars, Knitting the Galaxy. That's right. Knit your way through the Star Wars galaxy and check it out with that code FC35. That is right. I would like to see an updated book of Knitting the Galaxy as well with some of the High Republic characters. Uh, I definitely mm. want to knit, uh, or I can't knit, uh, so ask my wife to knit uh, Loden mm. Great Storm. That would be great. Oh, yeah. A storm of knitting. Uh, All right. It is just High Republic time all over the Star Wars galaxy here in our real world because there's just so much uh, to discuss. Uh, We discussed the Light of the Jedi, uh, the big uh, kickoff book, even though a lot of the stuff is coming out at the same time. Light of the Jedi really kind of set some of the big picture uh, storytelling and the big picture stakes. And we had a great and long discussion about it uh, with our wonderful friend Alex Damon of Star Wars Explained. He was super excited about Light of the Jedi, and uh, as we all were. And then uh, we're getting to the High Republic, or the High Republic, we're getting to a test of courage, which is the middle reader. And then uh, I know we both have in our hands uh, the next book, Claudia Gray's Into the Dark, which is a young adult book. Uh, what does age even mean anymore? So we'll be getting to that as well. But for now, we're discussing a test of courage. And as always on these discussions, we like to let you know this is full spoilers, as many spoilers as you can imagine. Sometimes we start our discussion with the last sentence of the book. It's full spoiler time. So with that, Ken, let's go into our overall reactions. What are your big picture reactions to a test of courage? Did you love it, like it, struggle with it? Where'd you go? No, this was a lot of fun, and we're gonna. We are. I've already made one joke. I'm sure we'll make more. The middle grade reader thing, and it, and you know, it's like when you watch Star Wars Rebels and it goes to commercial. You're reminded that Star Wars is truly for all ages, and some things are very specific for some ages. But I, from the beginning, I want to shout out Justina Ireland, who you know, not just being just a great writer, but it it takes a certain skill to to write a a book that is intentionally for quote younger audiences, but doesn't talk over them or doesn't talk under them. It talks at them and with them and communicates with them. And then because of that, because it's streamlined in a way, uh, it, it just turns into some very powerful lessons for all of us. And I really felt that all the way through the book. And I just had a lot of fun. And that's part of Star Wars, but also fun going, man, I wish I was just 
11 again and I had this book in my hands. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great way to look at it. And I think these, uh, certainly High Republic is really demonstrating it. We run into it with other Star Wars books. You know, I read Justina Ireland's uh, uh, Spark of the Resistance book. Uh, some of our favorite uh, Star Wars books that we all discuss uh, is, uh, you know, our young adult books. And sometimes there are things of like, yeah, of course, the, the, the size of the book, the uh, size of the font, uh, it can be like a visual reminder that this book is keeping in mind uh, people of specific ages. But with all Star Wars, sometimes all ages feels right. Of like, yep, mm-hmm. this is these are stories that are designed for everyone. And sometimes a specific book like this is designed to be an entry point for a specific age. But that doesn't mean it isn't also uh, for people like us who have some gray in our beards, as you put it so well. Well, the, the gray does it for us, Sarah, in terms of putting it well. Yeah, no, yeah, just a lot of fun. And and yeah, I, I joke, but it's like a, a Thrawn novel from Timothy Zahn or the Alexander Fried stuff. Great, dense, a lot of things going on in those books. And I, I joke, but especially with the young adult ones, too, it's like sometimes, man, this is more my speed <laughs> for my life right now. Where I'm just like, oh, cool. I get to uh, um, I get to just, uh, you know, um, sit and relax and enjoy a, a real straightforward Star Wars story. Uh, so anyways, that's part of part of what I really loved about this book of my hands. Yeah, absolutely. And I will not take your jokes away from you about feeling like middle reader uh, books are at your <laughs> your speed. Right. But I think there is a real structural thing that uh, novels like uh, like the Alphabet Squadron or Thrawn books uh, are structurally complex and jump around a lot. And there's something that is in the Star Wars spirit of uh, adventure and cliffhangers and fast movement when you're just going through with this small group of of characters mm-hmm. really f- uh, four to five main characters and you just zip through the adventure with them that sometimes taps into that star wars structure and feel of you start an adventure and then you just get zipped along the line you know yeah mm-hmm. and and please take my jokes man take my jokes they need <laughs> take your jokes please okay i will got it uh yeah for me i was surprised at how much i love this i really like justina ireland's uh spark of the resistance but in comparison it did feel like you know the storytelling was a little boxed in by that being a you know a book set between uh last jedi and rise of skywalker uh and could only kind of take the characters uh so far and this just felt like the same kind of spirit the same kind of ideas the same things i liked about justina ireland's writing in star wars but just exploding uh because the you know there's so much uh, room to breathe in this new high republic age so the, a mm-hmm. couple of things that i really specifically loved about it is it is in the grand tradition of star wars it is absolutely a coming of age story uh and it is literalized i love how much it's uh, literalized that it is uh, a metaphorical trip through darkness in which they literally crash on a dark jungle acid rain moon planet and then they go through these trials and they come to a better understanding of themselves and they literally ascend up to the starlight beacon uh so i love how kind of visceral that coming of age story is if you kind of you start at a, at a kind of place of stasis then you go into this uh dark challenging scary place and you work your way out of it and you uh, ascend up to a, a place of hope and that was literally uh and emotionally what's happening in this book mm. yeah that starlight beacon hope for all the galaxy but yeah that that journey and it was again i can keep saying fun 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 but just 
uh, that planet and all the adventures and all this we're going to dive into, just you were able to just really dive, connect with those themes and tell so many um, just important little life lessons in this adventure. And I really connected with all those. And, and again, we're, we're uh, I'm seconding you on that, but what a, what a great little adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And just for me, it is, I emotionally feel it. It's more visceral when it is like, yeah, no, it's, they're stuck on a dark, scary jungle with the acid rain. You, you feel that as a trial. Um, the other thing for me, uh, for overall, I just, I really liked the pace. Um, I liked that we kept the same story moving forward while also changing perspectives, uh, chapter to chapter of, you know, it wasn't the kind of uh, a point of view where we saw a lot of different characters perspective on an event. It was constantly changing perspectives, of the characters. So the individual characters and their trials were moving forward, but then the actual overall story was moving forward. And as much as I love the complexity of some of the other star Wars novels, it is fun to read one that ha- kind of has its foot on the gas while also, mm-hmm. um, uh, spending plenty of time with each character. Uh, and the final thing I liked about this, which I thought was really, really unique and really interesting. The book had like a uh, great pace. Uh, events kept happening. Uh, so it didn't ever felt like, feel like it was stagnating to me, but it had to me what was kind of a unique Jedi perspective. Like uh, in analyzing Jedi philosophy, we know that what the Jedi believe, or most of them is you know, just like Yoda says to Luke, you know, adventure and excitement are not the things to be craved. Uh, Violence is not a thrill. Conflict is not a thrill. We, the audience, get a vicarious thrill out of watching the Jedi's, uh, you know, conflicts, actual Mm -hmm. physical conflicts. But this book really had the Jedi perspective of violence is to be avoided at all costs. It is not the end-all, be-all, day-to-day activity of a Jedi. It is a thing that is sad that it has to happen. And when it does, it's quick and perfunctory, and it is not thrilling. And in perspective, I, in particular, I thought that perspective came across because we hear so much about the Force um, from the, the two Jedi characters. Uh, we see them wrestling with their relationship to the Force. Uh, we see them wrestling with uh, trying to use the Force for knowledge and defense. And then really at the end, there's that brief moment of violence and conflict, of Jedi action. But it's just so short, it's still thrilling, and it's still powerful, but it's just not celebrated. It just happens quickly, and they go back to <laughs> worrying about their relationship to the Force. Mm. I think, yeah, I'm right there with you on that because I think it took some big themes and, and this is to, you know, where the story benefits from needing to be for a younger audience. It took some big themes that are at play in a lot of Star Wars movies and books and stuff, debated even, and it really just presented it in a real simple, easy to digest form, therefore easier to just ah, there it is, and understand. And, and I think that's one of the successes, and, and it keeps in line with uh, George's vision of uh, teaching the teaching the kids. <laughs> teaching yeah. the kids to grow. So I know what you mean. And, 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 and Justine Ireland really knew every character in this, uh, in this book. To, yeah. To, to you slide the perspectives around and stick to this core, stick to that Jedi philosophy. She really knew what she wanted to do with these characters. Yeah, and she made me feel it. She made me really feel walking in Vernestra's shoes in particular. Vernestra is thinking about the Force all the time, but her relationship with the Force is absolutely about knowledge and defense and understanding it. And then when violence has to happen, it is so quick and perfunctory and, and not 
celebrated by by Vern. They're like, oh wow, this book is such a great like that's what it feels like to you know be a day to day Jedi. You know. Uh, when you're not mm-hmm. at war in particular. So I really, really, that really elevated it uh, uh, for me because it, it's such a great example of that. Uh, so I want to ask you a couple other general questions and we'll dive into all those uh, big ideas. So like all of these uh, initial High Republic stories so far, the events kind of overlap with one another, uh, with Light of the Jedi in particular. Uh, they all, including the comics, use the opening of Starlight Beacon as a sort of a thematic and narrative anchor. Do you think that works uh to have all of these individual stories that are all still tying to kind of these very specific beats? And how would you feel if this was the first High Republic book you read? Do you think it would work for you without having read Light of the Jedi first? Yeah, look, I, Light of the Jedi is, is this wonderful start to this whole series, and this book kind of reconfirms that for me, meaning, uh, um, well, so, you know, Justine Ireland or any author who who was leading, off, leading off could have and would have filled out just a bit more of the state of the galaxy, a bit more was going on, but they didn't need to because Light of the Jedi exists. Same with the comic. I've just started to catch up with the comics. But so Light of the Jedi to me is like the Starlight Beacon itself. It's the center of this thing and everything keeps flowing back to that story because it's so uh, done so well. So with that said, I, I'm, I'm happy with their way they're laying this out. And with just a few tweaks, could this have launched the whole thing? Yeah, because what happens with the, uh, uh, the steady wind, you know, you could have, that could have been the precursor to the bigger uh, great disaster and the emergencies, uh, emergencies, uh, emergencies, emergencies. So yeah, yeah. To, um, I, I love the way it is, is my answer, I guess, but you could have gone either way. The comics could have launched it. You just little details here and there, but this highlights how well the light of the Jedi was in terms of starting it all off and giving us just a feel for that world because I never felt lost in this book. Yeah, yeah. I think that they're doing a really good job of you could start with any book, any of the comics so far. I think Light of the Jedi is sort of like it's the the key, it's the legend to the map that really lets you yeah. know the big picture details of the great disaster and, you know, lets you into the headset of the the, the Nile and Markian Row in particular. But all of these books so far are a, are a great entry. And there's something that that is each time that I've been reading one of these stories and kind of knowing that, well, these Jedi are heading up for their great um, <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con convention of Jedi on the Starlight Beacon, yeah. that there it, it is elevating. The beacon is already well constructed to be this elevated uh, thematic idea as well as a place. But knowing that all the Jedi are going to converge there in every in all of these initial stories, uh, it gives mm-hmm. it this extra weight. I also think there's something about um, the way that uh, Light of the Jedi follows a bunch of individual Jedi, so we get that they are individuals impacted uh, by the big event. But then this book is just individuals who are impacted by these events. And, you know, if the reader has read Light of the Jedi, we actually know more about what's going on than they do. Uh, right. But I think it is by focusing on just a few individuals, there's something that feels like it's really reinforcing the philosophy of Star Wars that we are all connected and that we we matter as individuals and our choices matter, but we're all connected to this larger story. And there's something about reading this that feels like strangely accurate to real life. Like, um, you know, uh, I, I'll have my day's adventure, but then something will happen in our world where, well, we're all aware of this thing that changed because of the virus because it happened to all of us today but i also had my own individual adventure and that 
that feeling in this book is really strong to me. It just, it just goes to show that, you know, the, the, the years of planning for this series, uh, you know, we're, we're just starting it out, but it's already just kind of a, a success in my mind by exactly what you said. Just, I, this feels like, I'll say that, you know, that phrase fleshed out world, which is a, you know, critic phrase, but it's just, it, it's working. I, I, you're so right. It's like you want, you want to jump into the story and tell Vernestra what's going on or tell a big picture or, or, or even when the, the Nile are there and you know, which, which strike and which tempest they're part, you know, you, you know, you just feel like you're in the, you feel in the know, but you don't feel lost without it. Again, if you're listening, you're like, this is, this, this is your entry point into it. You, you shouldn't feel lost because, because the, they handle it so well, but yeah. Uh, really enjoying this this larger world they're giving us and and then smaller adventures are, are hitting. Yeah, yeah. So here's my last kind of big picture question. Um, it, much like Light of the Jedi, this is a complete story of an event, uh, but this book, A Test of Courage, also feels like the first chapter of an ongoing story. It even ends with kind of a cliffhanger of a different member of the Nile who is got a hideous, awful plan uh, and I personally, I love the cliffhanger vibe because I like that part of the Star Wars uh, uh, roots of, of the adventure serials and things like that, that it came from, at least partially. So I love the cliffhanger vibe. Um, but how do you feel about the fact that this is the first chapter, but it's clearly an ongoing story? Were you left with like like any sort of a, a stress or anxiety about, well, when are we going to pick up with these characters again? No, part of that might just because of you know, I'm, I'm glad with uh, not having an entire uh, shelf of books to read in one weekend or something like that. <laughs> but I, I can, again, I can only imagine if I was 11 and this would feel like my adventure, you know, feels like my little world of, of, of a continuing story. I want to know, I want to, I want to spend time with these characters again. And, uh, you know, that's not new to star Wars, but to have it in, you know, almost like, I don't know. You're at a holiday party and the adults are in one room and the kids are in the other. It really feels like that to the, in, in a great way. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm an adult in the adult room going, I want, I want to know more uh, what's going to go on in the, in the Dalton section uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it really set up well, and that's going to fuel, that's going to make the high Republic just really uh, have a lot of layers of fun going forward. Yeah. I think it, for me, it's this great exercise in patience because it's fun to have these cliffhangers like with the light of the Jedi with a load and great storm. And now with this for me, like a uh, Vern uh, is a very young Jedi Knight taking on Imri as a, as a Padawan. And I have mm-hmm. that impatience of, okay, but when are we going to follow up on that story? Uh, and how, in which writer, in which format? And, uh, yeah. and we don't necessarily know all those answers yet. And it is a good exercise in, in patience. Yes, patient indeed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I, there it, it's still the High Republic could could still be slightly overwhelming. Exactly what you said of who continues who, what form, at what point do I have to buy a coloring book to learn what happened? <laughs> like all that jokes, you know, we can make those jokes about the Disney stuff, the big the big machine of it all. But they're doing a great job of just of letting us know. So yeah, patient indeed. Absolutely. So uh, with that, we're going to get into some of the themes and the big ideas. Uh, As we sometimes do when we're uh, reading these books, I try to pull out some of the themes that I think are prominent and some of the details, and then we can uh, discuss a little bit and throw it back and forth and see if there are any other ideas that that you uh, found in there. Ken, do you mind if I launch into this this first big picture idea? 
let's do it. It's a good checklist to refer to. <laughs> so to me, the biggest thing about this was it was a coming of age book, which is not surprising, given that's what a lot of, you know, this uh, this reading uh, level uh, is often uh, coming of age, which makes a ton of sense. You're saying all these great things about what would it be like to read this book when you're the same age as the characters. It would be a different thing. Star Wars has a history of coming of age. But I feel like this book really dove into it in specific ways, kind of combining the idea of coming of age with the idea of going through uh, different trials, depending on your culture, to uh, get closer to being an adult, to even incorporating into that uh, themes of loss, of literally losing or being disconnected uh, from any sort of parental figure. So I thought it really doubled down, tripled down in a great way on the idea of coming of age. And a couple of ways that this expresses itself, uh, all four of these main characters uh, and uh, J6, you know, one could consider main characters as well. <laughs> all four to five uh, face loss in the challenges to becoming their best self. Honesty, uh, Weft uh, literally loses his father in this accident that kicks off the book, or not accident, uh, the sabotage of the ship. Uh, Imri loses his master. Uh, his master dies. So there is just straightforward. Two of these characters have just lost their literal parent or their parental figure. Uh, we learn that Avon Staros is estranged from her mother and has some, uh, you know, complex feelings about that. And then we get a slightly different perspective that Vernestra Rowe is 16. She's a Jedi Knight and she's on her first uh, mission, but she's immediately asked to fill a parent mentor adult role. So she is both coming of age and also suddenly having to be the parental figure for three people who have either lost or are estranged from their parental figure. So I thought that was just like the actual challenges of what is going on with the characters are all about um, this mm-hmm. coming of age and trials. And then we get mentions as mentions early on of the actual Jedi trials and what they're like and, uh, and that Vern took them and that Imri's worried about them. And then we learn that it's a part of, honesty's culture on uh, Dolna that you go through the metamorphosis. It's making it really clear that it's a cultural tradition to, you know, get closer to being who you're going to be when you're an adult. And then all four of those characters, I think, uh, follow through on the straightforward journey of their challenge by something at the beginning that gets some amount of resolution by the end of uh, honesty weft uh, resists going out into the world. And by the end, he wants to go to the Senate and testify about what the Nile have done. A uh, quote I pulled, which I really love from page 70, early on to establish uh, where honesty is starting from. He realized he was having an adventure and he didn't like it one bit. <laughs> I mean, that's a tattoo I want now. <laughs> right. It, that was so great to have that perspective. Uh, just really uh Solidly celebrated. If not, everybody is staring into the twin sons wanting adventure. <laughs> I call this being, being invited to a birthday party as an adult. <laughs> yeah, like a surprise birthday party, even worse, right? Nobody needs that challenge. So, yeah, Honesty has this very specific arc uh, set up. And then uh, Avon Staros has uh, family trauma, we learn from uh, being kidnapped uh, as a child, and she feels that maybe her mother is pushing her away, maybe she's rejected. And by the end, she is finding some real connection uh, with Imri and Honesty, and uh, even has like a great, uh, she's hugging uh, uh, of them to comfort and realizes, oh, wow, we're friends. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I thought that was great resolution on that. Uh, and then, kind of a different uh, approach, uh, Imri fears that he isn't good enough to be a Jedi. Uh, 
and he does make a horrific mistake uh, of dancing with the dark side for a moment. But by the end, he's embraced by Vernestra despite his failure. And then uh, Vernestra feels challenged by being on her first mission as a knight. And her role is caregiver to Avon because that's what her job was initially uh, at the beginning of the book was to watch over Avon. Uh, but by the end, she has successfully guided all of these uh, all of these young people uh, through a trial and even herself kind of graduates. If her challenge in this book has been, can I be a parental figure? By the end, she is the Jedi version of a parental figure. She is Imri's uh, master. A uh, quote I pulled for Vernestra is, uh, being a Jedi Knight was turning out to be a lot busier than Vernestra had thought it would. <laughs> Another nice, realistic perspective. And then my last kind of bullet point on this is even the droid J6 is evolving, uh, which, you know, some some stuff that we've experienced with uh, droids before, but I think it really starts to tie into this big picture theme that uh, J6 has like that pouty teen moment where uh, she's thinking deep thoughts and doesn't want to tell anybody what they are. Uh, and that implication that she's maybe going to go too far with her blasters and one of the last thoughts that we check in with her on is this idea that uh she wants to think about what upgrades she wants and that's just such a great droid way to say i'm trying to come of age i'm trying to decide who i want to be i'm trying to think of what upgrades i want i thought about what upgrades i wanted between seventh and eighth grade you know (laughs) i think that that's the year you kind of get upgrades regardless right (laughs) (laughs) You have to come to terms with the upgrades, but yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So I yeah. wanted to ask you about the big picture of this theme. Did it did the coming-of-age trials theme resonate with you, and, and did it feel like it was fresh in this story, given that that is a lot of what Star Wars storytelling is? Yeah, yeah, a great point, because, yeah, coming-of-age, it's like, yeah, yeah, we've been living that since 77 in Star Wars. But, again, because... Justina Ireland knows these characters so well and what she was able to accomplish uh, and just make it so clear and so different and new and big. And I felt what was really effective in this one is it wasn't, it is, is you had four kids essentially lost in the big world and with no one else around them and any lessons have already been given to them at this point and they're cut off from those lessons. And it's about figuring out for yourself uh, and with those around you and the big themes coming of those around you, uh, indeed. And that's where it really worked for me, where, where it did feel, you know, I don't know, it wasn't like they all were locked in a detention room on a Saturday and they had to come, <laughs> come of age from that one. But you know what I mean? Like, it, it just was, was clear and vibrant uh, for each one going through their trials, each one making choices to grow up, when, you know, when you can maybe even shrink back. Uh, this was this was a great junior high adventure. This was like junior high drama class for me. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. I think the contrast with their situation in uh, the state of the galaxy, like since we know the bigger world uh, mm-hmm. and we we can so feel them being just pushed off the deep end of the pool. And you're right, uh, I think, about the fact that this book really highlights they have the lessons. Now they're trying to implement them because there is a lot of them uh, mm-hmm. thinking through what they're parents or masters have told them there are a lot of just them literally pulling quotes They're like remember when my dad said this remember when my master said this remember when my mom said this maybe this will help me get through this and i think it probably just heightens it that they are in both physical danger and this is also a, a journey of loss and grief of it, it's mm-hmm. not like oh when we get out of this what will uh master douglas think it's that he's gone and i can never get advice again and i might die and i think that really heightens it in a great way <laughs> Yeah, a little heightened. Yeah, I, I I had some 
problems in junior high, but no acid rain or space pirates coming after me. But yeah, no, and, and the loss, the trauma, the loss, and how they all kind of deal with that is, especially there's some great moments. I'm thinking of like them just kind of, uh, you know, honesty, crying, trying not to cry, or Emery hiding tears following the immediate loss of what everything they went through with the steady wind. Real powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did any one of these uh, characters or, or their uh, specific wrestling with uh, coming of age grab you or, or you know, feel like it was yeah. something you've been through? I, I was particularly moved by Emery's journey. Uh, the lesson that, that really kind of popped up is that failure is not the end. Um, and that even anger doesn't guarantee that the next step has to be hate obviously runs deep in Star Wars. And Luke was still learning that when we meet him on that island again. So therefore, Emery's journey is there for all of us. And it's to have it kind of broken down. Again, I keep going to that idea of broken down to a simple form of falling to the dark side doesn't always involve world domination or galaxy domination, right? It, that's the big end of it. And that's the big dramatic storytelling stuff and Palpatine. But it, it, it is daily. It is something that is a daily challenge, but it, it, and unlike the con- gray Jedi and all those kind of things we debate over and everything, this is just on a very small, real-life level of these things going through your head aren't the anger, the loss, uh, coming to terms with it, aren't the problem. Your choices and reactions are what can lead to problems, but even then, you, can, you still have choices, and that's big in Star Wars. We talk about Kylo and Ben Solo, uh, Vader, uh, even what Luke's going through, I, I keep going back to Luke. Jet, Luke, like I wish Emery could talk to Luke, you know, and be yeah. like, "Yeah, you might have a moment." I had those moments too, three hundred years ago, or whatever, um, two hundred years ago, and so that one connected with me. Yeah, I thought that was really powerful. That idea of uh, of it isn't this big, and that's how he became the big bad of Star Wars. Of like, he made it a bad choice in a hard situation, but he's met with uh, this forgiveness and said, "Hey, yeah, no, anger is you know." Vernester kind of uh, repeating a little bit of a uh, of Padme wisdom of, "Yeah, no, anger is is real, and it's going to happen. What matters is how." you respond to it. And in this particular instance, you responded poorly and that is going to be the challenge every day. And it made me think of um, the great Obi-Wan scene uh, when Maul uh, takes uh, someone he loves from him and, and Maul just expects, of course, he's just going to, Obi-Wan's just going to snap. His eyes are going to go yellow right now. And Obi-Wan's like, no, this is the whole thing. Of course I'm upset, yeah. but I've been working on this my entire life. That's the point. You know, it, I thought it was such a great perspective from this, really kind really likable kid and even the power of earlier Imri had said no we don't seek revenge I know it right. I know that but it was still really hard to follow through on not doing that well and, and this is weird I, I had a slight spoiler for something like this coming in this in this particular book there's just so much high republic stuff out we have a section on the force center discord that is marked spoilers but sometimes I might swing through it just to clear notifications or whatever and I knew there was some kind of dance with the dark side coming and so because of that, I'd, I went, I think I leaned back on my just 40 years of Star Wars fandom. We're like, oh, OK, well, maybe one of the kids uh, goes to the dark side and uh, it's Sith like and, you know, he wants to take over the world or kill, kill, kill. And then when it rolls out and it's so real and it was so small scale in a way, not small to Emery, 
the loss he felt is not small, but you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't this gigantic star Wars turn to the dark side. It was like, no, this thing you're feeling is normal. Your reaction to it is even normal, but that's where the, the turn can begin. Wow. It really worked for me. Yeah. And the utter power of Emery feeling th- that loss and that anger and that, I don't want to be sad and I feel like I have more control when I'm angry, which I think is just such an accurate uh, description of emotions as I've experienced them. But the fact that a lot of it is it's his great gift in the force is feelings, right? Is being able to tap into other people's feelings and he taps into honesty's anger. And that's just such a great picture of anger in Mm. Uh, the force as an analogy for the real life of like, it's much easier to give into your anger when you're, you know, when it's being fueled by the angry person next to you, you know? Yeah. Really powerful yeah. stuff. Um, I, I really liked all the characters. There's something about Vernestra's journey and her character that I was really drawn to. I think cause I like steadfast characters. I like um, mm-hmm. heroes like uh, Captain America or Superman or Wonder Woman who are characters who are generally don't break, but then, but they are really challenged. And I, I just, there's something about Vernestra as a, yeah, uh, everything's gone great for me. I was really encouraged by my, you know, culture of origin, the Mirrorlands to be a Jedi. It's celebrated. I'm really good. I got a great teacher. I know some of it is my hard work. I know some of it is my luck, uh, but I feel pretty connected to the force. And yet she still had all these doubts of like, oh, can I show mm-hmm. Uh, can I show Imri my light whip or what does that mean? And am I able to guide them? Right. So I really like a good story where the hero feels strong and powerful and steadfast, but there are still challenges because that's feels true to me. Oh yeah. The, the, the stuff with the light whip was great of just the, uh, you know, you can't show it. And what does that mean? Yeah, no, no, you're so right. Yeah. And it's, uh, look, uh, you, I've, I've heard you say this about Ray before, uh, and I'll added Vernesta to it of just like, I'd like to grow up and, and be like her. Uh, <laughs> again, doesn't mean this isn't like a perfect, uh, you know, the bell of the ball, the quarterback of the team type of character that just, she, she doesn't have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, arrogance or, or privilege attached to her, but she recognizes those parts of her and she recognizes the, the the need to continue to grow because she feels those fears and it's very real as well every arc in here is real for these uh, for these characters yeah absolutely uh for you just as a person does it help you to process individual challenges in life as you th- if you think of them as this is your jedi trial or this is your metamorphosis <laughs> yeah i think i think when i s- could take that time to do that you know when you're in the middle of it when you're emory going man, my, my master's dead and those folks over there did it. And, uh, you know, it's hard to stop and go, Oh, (laughs) this is a trial. Uh, but that's (laughs) the life works. Right. And, and it's easy to look back, uh, but it's important to look back. It's important to, to take those lessons and and go forward. And, and I do look at a lot of things that are just chapters and, or I'll say a lot, well, I got, I got through that. And sometimes it's as easier as I had a big trial uh, during the pandemic, you want to know what the trial was? I had to get my real ID. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a lot and waiting in line and figuring it out. And COVID was just launching and I wasn't sure to hear him. And uh, I'm half joking a little bit, but I got through it. I just remember driving away going, I got through that. I did it. I didn't yeah. think I'd get done, but I did it. I got through that challenge. Yeah. I think it can be really valuable to romanticize uh, things. I think it can be dangerous too, uh, but but I think in general, it can be 
uh, something that that makes you really understand what's going on in your own life, right? Because you could just see things as like, here is another struggle. Here's another damn thing that I have to do. And, you know, what really, oh, great. Uh, I just, you know, I maintained, I got this idea I need. Great. But if you add a little bit of that romance to it of like, I am going to persevere. <laughs> I will yeah. pass my Jedi trial. I will accomplish metamorphosis. How? I'm going to eat a little less cheese and a little more vegetables today. I have completed my Jedi trial and have not fallen to the darkness of that yeah. additional piece of Gouda. I had a salad. I am a Jedi. Uh, yeah. Pulling some for some personal experience there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think sometimes it doesn't always work, but sometimes I think it is. It's really fun and powerful to to add a little bit of that uh, mm-hmm. romance to the challenges you encounter. And, and look, again, if you're 11 or 12 and you're reading this book and, and the off chance you're listening to our review, welcome to the party. But the, the, you're heading out to the real world and, and it's a great, I think it's a great little skill to pick up, to, to look at it as that. To, that may, might help you not be as overwhelmed. And look, there's some problems that are just, are overwhelming. That's part of the struggle. But you know what I mean? I, I think, I, I wish I had some of that too, because I, I'm a quiet little kid who was a little overprotected. Little, that's an understatement. And... <laughs> Sometimes I, I feel as though even, you know, it was hard for me the very first day when I wanted to sign up for improv training in 1999. Like I'd overcome a lot of things to pick up a phone and set up an audition time. Yeah. It was, it was hard for me. I wasn't trained to do that. I didn't have those skills. I'm shy like my father. And if I, if I just been able to approach it now, I'm talking, I'm 21, 22 at the time. If just like, this is today's challenge. And this, this book, this book is like, I want every kid going in in junior high to read it. Yeah. It should, should be a textbook. <laughs> <laughs> a test of courage, your textbook. That is great. You want to grow up. A test of courage. Can you make that phone call? I also had to pass that uh, Jedi trial at different points in my life. Can you make that phone call? Yeah. I did it. Uh want to move on to one of the other big ideas, uh, and that is a uh, point of view. Obviously, this is a big Star Wars uh, idea, a big Star Wars theme that uh, everybody does have different points of view and they can affect uh, how you uh, act based on how what truths you cling to. Uh, you know, your uh, your perception determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. Uh, but I thought it was took an interesting uh, kind of perspective on perspectives in this book that the four main characters literally take turns advancing the narrative that we are in chapter by chapter we are in one of the four main characters heads seeing their experience of it but it's never doubling back it's always moving the story forward uh and we see that each character has specific strengths and experiences that add to the value of the whole so we get to experience their point of view but we get to experience how it also contributes to getting them to literally getting them out of this uh this trial this crucible this belly of the beast experience uh, on the acid rain moon. So Vernestra is strong in the force. Uh, she knows she's worked hard, had luck, uh, and been supported. Um, she also has a light whip, light whip setting on her blade, which is uh, pretty damn cool. But just her skill and her experience saves the group uh, many times as this sort of a 16-year-old adult in the room. And then we learn that Imri's power in the force is about connection, sensing others' feelings. Uh, he helps save the group with that by allowing them to even find uh, the moon Weavo to land on. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Avon Staros is great with tech and science. She loves expor- exploration. Uh, she's creative and prepared. So that saved th- saves them in lots of different ways, including having that uh, that probe droid that she packs and uses well. Uh, and then honesty, we see 
in some ways for me, the, the strongest of this is how much he doubts himself, how much he doesn't want to be there. He's rigid. He likes familiarity. But then he has that just crystal clear epiphany of like, but I know something they don't. I've studied field craft in preparation for my metamorphosis. And, you know, and he, you know, helps find uh, water by finding that fruit for the group. So it is kind of a, a, a structural thing that we get to experience different points of views through the kids. But then it's just a really nice, straightforward lesson of, look, everybody has strengths. Uh, and we even, like I was saying before, get to see a little bit of that kind of trading of perspectives of uh, Imri literally absorbing some of Honesty's anger uh, mm-hmm. and acting off of it. Um, I love that Avon and Honesty kind of go back and forth with chaos versus planning. We get that great little passage from Honesty going, uh, Avon's interesting and confident, but she is an agent of chaos and she frightens me. And then, and then Honesty along with Imri are the one who actually do a chaotic, dangerous thing. So you get some perspectives that, uh, you know, uh, traded and, and uh, Vernestra feeling nervous about Imri seeing his blade while, or seeing her blade while, while Imri is the one who's nervous about his blade. So some perspective trading there. So th- those are all the ideas that I picked up on. Uh, did you have any thoughts on that general perspective? Uh, the general thought is, is again, this needs to be a textbook. Uh, and the reason is I, I really connected oddly enough, um, uh, with honesty, honestly, okay. with honestly, I didn't mean that there. I hate puns. Um, uh, the reason is I am so much of a person that's like, help me. I'm outside of my routines. I don't know what to do. And also I don't want to be here. And also I think I know what I can add to the party, but I, I, I'm afraid to, to do it. And, and I have grown so much uh, over the last five years, over the last 10 years, over the last 20 years of just being again, I mentioned being <laughs> overprotective. I'm not saying honesty was overprotective, but uh, you talked about the kind of the rigidness of him and, and this and the strong culture it comes from. But I, I really looked at, at him of, of seeing kind of a bigger picture for the first time, a bigger world for the first time. Where Avon reminds me, Avon's such a great character, but she she reminds me of someone who's maybe seen too much of the world already. Right. Uh, nothing she could do about that, but, but brings in, and then of course, just the base level of, of you got Jedi, you get different cultures that they're either from, whether they have strong memories of that or not, doesn't matter. They're there, they're, they, they are who they are, but all that kind of, I looked at, um, honestly, all on, honestly, all through the book of just kind of quiet in the corner to me, just kind of like trying to figure out his place and, and then being changed by it for better or worse, but hopefully in the end for, for the better, I connected with that. And that was another thing where the book, book really worked with going to that base level of what you're talking about. It is sometimes as simple as, uh, you know, I am science. Well, I am a Jedi and spiritual. Let's try and let's try to marry the two. There's all those kind of uh, great concepts. Uh, and it just continued to work in what you're describing, Joseph, of uh, each, what they each brought to the table perspective wise it, it, to move everything forward piece by piece. That's another reason the, the, the story really worked as this singular adventure with many complex parts. Yeah, I love what you're saying about honesty. I think that honesty is this great addition to the Star Wars canon in that, you know, we're, we want to have as many people be able to see themselves in, in Star Wars. And I think it's great for the kids who are like, camping? No, <laughs> I don't want to do that. No, uh, <laughs> being away from my parents. No, I don't want to do that uh, to get some representation in Star Wars. Um, yeah. And and then, yeah. And then realize like, oh, I do. This is frightening and unpleasant. Uh, and, and there's cultural reasons for it. Right. As we learn that the Dalna 
stay on their planet because the Nile have been torturing them for, you know, it sounds like a long time. Uh, yeah. So they have reasons for it. But it's great mm-hmm. then for, yeah, for him to say like, no, but I, but there are some things and some perspectives to get from that. And I'll, I'll, I'll embrace that a little bit more. It's really cool. Um, yeah. I really, I was saying I really liked Vernestra's story and I do in there. There are parts of it that I relate to, but also especially as the book went on and we really got a picture of how much Imri had been teased for being gawky and laughed mm-hmm. at when he made a mistake and that how much he loved his master Douglas because it, he he didn't ever mock him for failing, just said, no, let's try again in a friendly, mm-hmm. helpful way. Um, that really related to me so to some like deep, um, mm. especially being like grade school age, um, where I, I was like very <laughs> traditionally conventionally teased, uh, and, and mocked, you know, and, uh, and remembering the kind adults who are like, it's fine. Don't listen to them. Try again. You know, that mm. really hit home for me. Mm. See, uh, us graybeards can can read these middle grade books and start <laughs> crying with, I finally, Justina Island sees me. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the, uh, the, the uh, helping to walk through my own life adventures. Uh, what do you think is this strength of understanding someone else's perspective or skill set? Um, so the, the strength of, of learning to understand and... and, and the skills, perspectives, and knowing they exist, even as to me, follow me here is kind of this, it takes the story off of you. Uh, and I'm talking about that story, meaning we're, we're, we are all the stars in our own TV show, right? Right. Uh, uh, the movie about a boy, Hugh Grant, the, the Nick Hornby adaptation really is great stuff about that of like, no, no, I'm in my own TV show. You might be a supporting character, but you're mine and, and how that can be. We want to, you need to make life an ensemble cast, I guess. And I'm not just talking about, romantic relationships, just everything. And what, so what, that's what I mean is this uh, knowing the value and the power and the importance and the reason for all these perspectives, uh, it allows you to pay attention to the bigger picture. Um, and, and, and when you run up against something that doesn't quite, you don't understand yet, or you're not sure about if you have the story on you, that, that is easier to turn towards, Confusion, fear, uh, anger, pride, ego, all those things Yoda usually talks about. And the, the, those all come out of you being first. And I'm not just talking about base level selfishness, but everyone in the story, I would not describe any one of these characters as selfish uh, at all, Mm-mm. but uh, young, but just, you know, Avon's the star of her story. And, and again, Avon's such a great character because she is kind of this agent of chaos, which is weird because she, she's this, you know, person of science that's like charts and graphs type of person. Um, Anyways, all I have to say, I, you know, I, I always take Star Wars into these real personal areas and this book worked for me because again, going back to where I was, like I, I hit the big city from a small town at 21, 22 and, and I had so many different people around me that I'd never had before. And when I say different, I mean anything, race, creed, religion, whatever. I just was raised in a small town and my instinct is to go egocentric. Well, I, I, I'm an, I'm that my way is the right way or what I view you is, is, is the truth. And it's not the truth. And I've just only gotten better and grown and, and, and be, by acknowledging the power of, of other people's journeys and perspectives and skills, like you're saying, 
Uh, this is also could be a, this book could be used at a, a work conference. <laughs> <laughs> Here, so all to say, I, I know I'm kind of rambling, but, um, uh, and, and, and we all slip and have those moments of, what are you saying? I don't like that. I don't understand. That's not the way I do it. Um, yeah. We all slip up, but I think that's one of the big strengths of this book is going, yeah, we, we move forward from that. We work together, whether we, whether we know it, it's importance or not, we have to. Yeah. I think if, I love everything you're saying. And I think there is so much of that, uh, for me, a need to acknowledge that we can't help it. We're in our own minds. We're in our own bodies. We are the main character of our shows. Uh, yeah. but realizing that, but the person next to you also has a show and it's just as important as your show, you know? Yeah. And having that empathy at, at all times, I think, you know, being reminded to understand other people's perspectives, even if you're not always going to be in agreement with them, but understand that they have their own perspective for their own reason. It just it, it encourages empathy. And I think this book does a great job of just uh, uh, showing whether it is uh, used as a textbook or as a, uh, a team building exercise for <laughs> a corporate getaway. Uh, you got a lot of great pitches for uh, where to take this book. Um, it just shows the the both the practical and emotional value of trying to open up to the person next to you, right? Of there's yep. literal skill set things of we didn't realize that this person could do X, and if you're uh, so afraid that you're going to be mocked if you let people see your skill uh, mm-hmm. because it might be wrong or different, then you're not going to be able to help that person. So you know, just realizing that hey, if if we feel safe with one another, then we can actually help one another. It's a, it's a value. And then even just like um, with emotions, right. Of they all have trauma either that they've experienced right now. Well, they've all experienced the trauma of steady wing blowing up, but uh, you know, honesty and Emery just lost these parental figures, but they don't know that Avon has also gone through horrific trauma until they get comfortable enough to open up and find out that they have, you know, uh, more in common, which, you know, that sounds so simple sometimes. Uh, but I think it's just, I, I think the thing that I'm working towards is trying to have empathy for others is not, ugh, I'll, I'll yeah. just tolerate your dumb view every mm-hmm. once in a while. Maybe you feel that way and that's fine. Uh, but it is possibly it will benefit you <laughs> if you can open up to somebody else's view. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and a good, I think through this process, you also get to know yourself, you you get to know what you believe, what lines you don't cross and all those kind of things are there as well. And, and, you know, we're speaking in general terms and specific terms, but I think every one of these characters by the end of this journey knows more about themselves and knows who they are and what they believe. And a lot of that came by this shared journey and none of them would have survived on their own. Right. Like, yeah. Vanessa maybe would have had the best shot. All right. You know, she was two to one favors of odds in Vegas. All right. But they all needed, they all need each other. And that truly is life. Uh, this is not a Springsteen Jeep commercial, but, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? And, and, it, and it, uh, it loves seeing it on a smaller level like this. For, it worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that is often the great story of star Wars is that characters like the Jedi who have a perspective that we are all individuals, but we are all connected. Uh, they absolutely want to work towards empathy and nonviolence, but they also have moments of like, Oh, but, but that's not cool. What you're about to do, even though I understand why you're doing it, you know, the violence you're about to do is not cool. And so I'll try to defend, you know, like, so it, it isn't just a ignore everything. Everybody get along, you know, it's easy yeah. to, I think overlap those conversations, but that's what I like about star Wars is it struggles with, uh, absolutely lead with empathy but still be proactive when something that you believe is truly wrong is happening 
Um, great, uh, great thoughts. If you were stranded on a moon can with acid rain, what skill would you bring to the group? Staying in the cave and knowing to stay in the cave. <laughs> Don't go outside. That's acid rain. Um, <laughs> you would be but, the uh, weather forecaster. Though the truth, yeah, the truth is though. I love rain so much and I'm known even to this day of uh, Grace will be like, what are you doing? I'm just standing outside in the rain. Well, have an umbrella. Well, then I won't get wet. <laughs> I love standing in the rain, walking in the rain, playing in the rain. Uh, my old security jobs, I used to go on the roofs and, and I'd be like, I'm going to go check for flies. I was, I was the director. of. I, I, I could have stayed in my office all day. No one would have asked me to go outside in the rain. I was like, let me grab a raincoat. I'm going to go check for, for leaks on the roofs. And, and the management would be like, there's, there's no leaks. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to go up. So I do love rain. I would have got caught in rain. <laughs> okay. So you would have been a cautionary tale. That's how you would have. Yes. Yes. But I would have been out. like, stay, stay in the cave, stay in the cave, stay in the cave, stay in the cave. Yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe I would have, uh, uh, struggled to, uh, toward possibly annoying motivational speaker. I think I could have helped with that. I'm like, look, I don't have any of the skills to help us, but I know you three do. And I'm going to keep you happy and pumped and excited. Are you ready team? I think that's what I could contribute. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're going to move on to this last uh, sort of big picture idea that I perceived in the book, which I think is the the idea that really adds a lot of uh, depth. Everything we've been talking about, obviously, we love. But to me, this was a lot of the depth came from this. And it is actively accepting loss. Uh, there's active death in this book. Um, and also a little bit more exploration of the will of the force and the different Jedi characters sort of relationship to that. So multiple characters uh, wrestle with why the tragedy had to happen and how to move forward, uh, specifically with the, the steady wing blowing up and uh, all those people being killed, them narrowly escaping, but specifically Honesty's father and uh, Jedi uh, Douglas Sunvale. This is a quote from page 57, uh, Avon Staros thinking through the tragedy, and it says, Avon's heart clenched at the knowledge Master Douglas was gone forever. If the Force really was guiding everything, how could good people like Master Douglas die so stupidly? Got so excited when that popped up. It's like, okay, is this a uh, just a passing thing, or is the book going to wrestle with this perspective a little bit more? And it really ended up doing that. Um, Imri uh, has a couple different things to say on this topic, but in particular, when the sort of fever of the dark side breaks, it's partially because he remembers or maybe hears uh, Douglas, his master, speaking to him. This is on page 207. And he says, To be a Jedi is to always trust that the Forks works in mysterious ways, Emery. We accept and try our best, but we do not forget that in the end, all is as the Force wills it. I feel like this is reflected uh, two other places as well. Many other places, but two I wanted to highlight. Uh, page 110. This is just more of a practical thing is that Avon has been leading them down this uh, difficult path, literally through the acid rain moon. And mm -hmm. Avon says, uh, following this path across the floodplain allowed us all to realize that the only correct path was the least desirable one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think about that every day of my life. And then I mm -hmm. uh, wanted to highlight the kind of the end beat of this story on page uh, 225 when uh, Vernestra has taken Imri as her Padawan. And they are reflecting on that the Nile are responsible for uh, the destruction of the steady wing and kind of how awful it is. And uh, Vernestra says to Emery, I think we have seen only the least of what they, meaning the Nile, are capable of. But don't worry, we're Jedi. We'll be ready when next they strike. So mm -hmm. 
Ken, feel free to take this kind of how, however you want, wherever you want. What is powerful to you about this discussion uh, of the Jedi's relationship to the will of the Force? There's some great stuff, and I, I, I failed to write them down this time. I apologize to you and all the listeners, but there was some great, uh, you know, along with our favorite uh, Qui-Gon quote, we kind of either get exactly right or paraphrase of <laughs> the light because the light is there. Uh, there there were some real good plays on that too. And, and so far, two for two, High Republic books, uh, comics as well, but High Republic books have really, really uh, been allowed to look at what it means to be a Jedi and the relationship to the Force and destiny and will, all these things that we love talking about here. So accepting loss is your big theme here and, and how that will of the Force. You talk earlier about chapters, seasons of change, and I always say part of that loss isn't just death, that's probably perhaps the biggest one, but a changing of a job, a changing of a scenario. All four of these characters cannot go back uh, to and change anything that's happened before. They must, uh, and not that some of those is death, some of those are little, little things, interpersonal relationships. Um, while they're even being here, I think honesty might have those questions. Uh, and you must accept that loss and how that loss, to me, Putting it on the shoulders of the will of the force can either be a cop-out or it can be an accepting of just you have to go forward. You have to go forward, and you're going to learn from it. You're going to survive, and you'll get through that trauma. And I think even, you know, on a simple, like for me, graduating from eighth to ninth grade was a trauma. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, it was. And having to go, you you can't go back again is, a, is something you hear a lot in your life, but you can go forward and to see it like that is part of what I think this book talks about here along with the big things again a lot of trauma uh the stuff you highlight with Avon and her mother and, and what she went through and um and then the, just the, the 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 ramifications of the death but even for me there's a little bit of um with Vernestra showing that she has a, a light whip is kind of this almost letting your your inner light shine right to me it's, it, it took a lot of she can never go back uh, that it is now known who she is and her skills are now known. And that's even kind of a loss of what was before. Mm. And now you are out and about and you are, you are proud. Again, I talk about how a lot of this book is about finding out who you are. And a lot of it is growing and accepting those around you or working with those around you or trying to understand those around you. But it's also going, I, I, this is who I am. And I think Vernestra, the, 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 you know, a light whip is something so cool. We, you know, everyone wants a light whip to show back up in Star Wars. And it's been in all these legends and video games and all this kind of thing. And here it is. And instead it wasn't like, look at this light whip. And everyone goes, ah, it was, oh gosh, I can't let anyone know that I have this. Yeah. Even though I know it's okay. And I can cite examples of where it was used. And, but there's a confusion around this, you know? Oh, you have a light whip. Don't the night sisters use that? Are you a night sister? I, I think that's part of when I, when I hear the term loss in, in, in life and it, it is, it is moving forward and, and looking at it as that. And that's part of what I felt from this book as he wrestled with the philosophy of, I don't know, will of the force. Yeah. I I think that's all, all sorts of great stuff. And yeah, this book is explicit about this is immediate sudden loss that at first seems random and chaotic. And then we learn is just absolute cruelty from the Nile, right? Of just, Mm -hmm. we want to control this sector of space. So we're just going to murder these innocent people and we're going to track down these children and we're going to murder them too, these teens. And I love the honesty that Avon is willing to just go like, how could, how can they find a way to be okay with something so 
dumb when somebody as awesome as Master Douglas died. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think that's really powerful to let it be that difficult. But I love what you're saying, too, about accepting loss is just the immediate, too, of one moment from the next. Or for Mm -hmm. Vernestra will never not uh, be somebody who has a light whip. It's it's such a great uh, perspective. Imri, no matter what he does for himself, he will always have gone dark that day. Mm-hmm. Even if he never turns back, you know, even if he doesn't particularly learn a ton from it, even it's just a part of who he is now and yeah. accepting that that always in motion is everything, you know, um, yeah. is is really great. I think, you know, there's a lot to dig into with the, the cosmic force versus the living force. And you and I discuss uh, uh, that our perception that we enjoy on this podcast that maybe other people uh, have a different take is that a lot of the talk of destiny in Star Wars is that the will of the force is moving you towards a a conflict that is uh, essential to who you are and so you can't avoid it luke skywalker has to has to face his father you know um mm-hmm. ray has to decide what to do with her power because she has all that power and eventually she's gonna have to decide um other people uh, you know can view it a different way and this book i think really wrestles with um great we can we we need to learn to accept loss uh we need to uh, find a way to move forward but you know, can we trust uh, this idea that, you know, how, how do we accept that bad things happen? How do we how do we make that a part of this philosophy? Um, if we, you know, are really having this moment of faith that everything is happening the way it was supposed to happen. How do we how do we wrestle with something really awful happening? Um, and I, I what I really liked about the book is I, I felt like it was throwing that big picture idea out there that that is super important and. Uh, obviously everyone can have uh, their own relationship to that because it's a really big idea that touches, you know, really important real world stuff. Um, but I really liked that it, the book was not shy of kind of raising that question and seeing the different ways that characters grappled with it. And what I liked about it is that embracing the will of the force for these characters did feel to me like it meant accepting that bad things happen, that mm. there are some things that are out of their your control. There was nothing that they could have done to stop. Uh, you know, they didn't fail. You know, there's nothing they could have done to stop the destruction of uh, the steady wing. So there's a real acceptance that there are some things in the tapestry of life and the tapestry of the force that are out of your control. And you need to accept that so you can move forward. Um, accepting that everything is connected and even sometimes horrible things can lead to good things seems like a, uh, a lesson that they are focusing on of like, well, you made that mistake, but maybe you will learn from it. Uh, like with Imri's uh, horrible moment of uh, going to the dark side. Uh, but what I really like about it and why I kind of wanted to highlight that quote at the end of uh, Vernestra saying to Imri, um, you know, we're Jedi, we'll be ready when next they strike. I like that at no point do our Jedi characters remove their personal agency. Like mm-hmm. the Jedi often say, I'm meditating on what the will of the force is. I'm trying to follow the will of the force. Uh, but that is always in this great concert with personal agency and the perspective that the Jedi are not just observers, but they are active participants. And you can get into, you know, sort of semantics of, well, are they choosing that or is the force choosing that for them? That's a great big discussion. But what I really like is this book is accepting that a horrific, unnecessary, cruel tragedy happened 
and these people lost loved ones. And the way that at the end of the book, Vernestra is responding to it when she's talking to her Padawan is, we will be ready to respond to the next crisis. So it's accepting it and moving forward and saying we're still going to be proactive and try to stop anything like that from happening again. Yeah, I mean, this is it's spiritual stuff, and and, and the Jedi, it, that that's that it's always been spiritual stuff, uh, and and you can take that and apply it to your own, your own life if you want. I, I was looking back in page fifty six, you you put that great quote on fifty seven, and, and Avon has another. There's no logical explanation for this, and that was what Avon hated the most. Mm. And so, what, to to tie it into what you're saying with Vernestra, like you could focus on not being able to comprehend it. And that's very realistic. And what's that word? Hate, hate shows up there and how that can stew and how, how that can grow and how that can fester when uh, hopefully by the end of this book, what I take a little bit, what you're highlighting here, Vanessa saying is we got through it. We grew, we we're better for it. And we don't have to just sit back and accept those bad things. If we can change it, uh, we're Jedi and balance. There's to talk about balance in this book. Mm-hmm. A little bit of that pops up. Of, and, and there's also the force doesn't choose sides. That quote, I'm, I might be paraphrasing a little bit. It all kind of uh, goes into this theme of of, um, of accepting loss and will of the force for me. Yeah. But yeah, sorry. I trailed off because I'm trying to think of where that quote was. I knew I should have written it down. <laughs> there's a lot of great ones. And and I think, again, that's to me what is really powerful about it is it, it does offer lots of food for thought. And it, as we often do on Force Center, particularly when we're talking about uh, really big ideas that can really impact, um, you're saying saying the word spiritual, Ken, I think that's exactly right. We are sharing our thoughts and our observations, and we uh, we recognize that there are many different thoughts and, uh, and observations and feelings to have about this big picture idea of, of will of the Force and how it relates to the real world. So just want to emphasize that we are sharing our perspectives and respect that there are others out there, even in this book. Uh, What do you think about Imri's fall to the dark side? Do you think it was about the inability to process the loss of uh, his master? Was that the the key thing that broke him or do you feel like it was uh, something else? Uh, You know, I I think, I I think there might've been things leading up to that. Uh, and again, uh, yeah, we talk about the choices and, and, and uh, Vernestra tells him you know, later on, recognizing her mistakes and doing better is the path of the Jedi. Uh, and, and so he made a mistake, I think, in accepting that. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an okay mistake for me. Uh, I, I can only imagine that Justine Ireland was writing about uh, not just her own loss, but all trying to tap into all of us and in, in the loss we experienced. But I think it comes from other... Areas and and the idea of just saying, uh, uh, you know, Douglas is dead. Well, it's weird. It's the will of the force that can be incorrect. That can lead to the inability to process it. So yeah, I I think it's easy to say, ah, well that happened because you just didn't know how to deal with it. Um, we all don't know how to deal with it. We are we're all the Jedi trying to hope that we can do better the next time. Um, there's this thing here. Master Douglas had urged Emery to get better at talking to people, not just to suss out what was happening by uh, by way of the force. Um, mm. but everyone couldn't help it, most especially when everything but the force felt chaotic and wrong. Um, and so what that showed me is is Emery being young, uh, and especially when you got all those uh, you know, all those hormones are coursing through your veins and and all those kind of things. And I'm trying to go back to junior high, early high school. We're talking about the big content, the will of force stuff, and and 
and Emery is plugged into that. You talk, he's so good at feeling and, and connecting and he even takes honesty's anger. So to, for him to be, believe that everything but the force felt chaotic and wrong, um, to me is it, it, such a, a, there, there's the inability to process it. Uh, simply getting up or going outside, me having to make that phone call. <laughs> it's just chaotic and wrong. I don't know. The only thing I know is, is, uh, the force, the force seems calm. I don't know. I, that was key that Master Douglas knew that about Emery. That's that, such a great, yeah. You know, That's yeah, a yeah. Great you, pull. You didn't need to just study the books here. This is a little bit of Yoda. You need you, you, better at, at talking to people. Be part of this galaxy. We're Jedi. We're out here. We're out here to help. You got to know the people are helping. You got to know yourself and not just constantly looking up to something that might be even hard to explain. Uh, the force. Yeah, that, yeah, it, it's, that, it's, that yeah, it. yeah, like living in what, what you are good at, but not maybe everybody is good at living there. You have to be out in the world. Um, yeah, and, and so when the Force does something that seems just as chaotic, chaotic and wrong as the real world you don't understand, you're knocked off your, your, your foundations there. And Emery was knocked off his foundation. Understandably, again, no fingers pointed at him. Uh, which is why I love the ending with Vernester and him. But like, you know what I mean? So yes, I think in the end, it's simple to say his inability to process, but that's what I was trying to get at. It's the whole picture of what he couldn't grasp. Yeah, I, that's such a great pull because in a way it is Douglas giving him the advice that he needed. I, I love that this book is seeded with the advice that Imri needed but couldn't take because that feels more more honest of like, that is the challenge in real life is we often know we have the wisdom we need to not make bad choices, but uh, our our emotions uh, pull us to not listen to that wisdom. And in specific, if Imri had talked to Honesty instead of just feeling Honesty's anger, I love that Honesty did feel that anger, did feel like it would be easier to be angry because then I would feel in control instead of feeling sad, which I'm ashamed of Honesty's you know, thinking. And... Imri just sucks up that emotion. But if he had spoken to honesty, honesty was really reticent about actually acting on the anger. And if he had spoken to him, honesty would have probably said, I, I, I don't know if we should go after them in the middle of the night alone, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I, I love that it, his, his brief break to the dark side is, it, I think it is about an inability to process that loss. I think everything you're saying is great, but I love how much it is tied up into just kind of real world things of obviously he feels the pain and the anger and, and the, the pull toward vengeance. And, you know, I'm not going to let the galaxy be chaotic. I'm going to, you know, enforce my order on it of those people killed my master. I'm going to kill them. But there's also this Douglas was the one who made Imri feel accepted. And, mm-hmm. Imri is stewing so much with feeling like he's never going to be good enough. He's jealous of how talented Vernestra is. And now that one person who was a balm to those emotions is gone in that fear that that person who used to make me feel okay about my insecurities is gone. So now I have to live with my insecurities. No, instead I'll attack. That was painfully real and relatable. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So very, this book so very real. Like I, I'm flashing back to eighth grade at night. Uh, so real. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, what would you rather do? Uh, deal with your insecurities or lash out? <laughs> and almost the entire world is like, I would like to lash out, please. Like, that's the challenge, you know? Yeah, you're, you're right. I just, I, I, I asked myself that question and said, I'm going to become a comic. <laughs> a, a specific form of lashing out if nobody has ever been to a really long open mic night. 
any other big picture ideas or themes that you wanted to discuss? I mean, we hit on a lot. Uh, I'm not just, uh, not just trying to skate over that, but yeah, we hit on a lot. No, a lot of it was, uh, a lot of it was there and it ties well into some of the stuff going on with the high Republic and, 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 uh, and, and uh, uh, chancellor, uh, what's her name? A rose. So, so, so yeah, Lena oh, so. Bro, I'm learning all the high Republic names still. There's a lot. Times to the, to the big picture. So yeah, that's all there. We, we can discuss it if I need. Yeah. You, you already mentioned it and found some great quotes for the other theme that I think is really, really present in the whole high Republic and it's there in light of the Jedi. And I think it is the conflict between the Nile and the Jedi is the conflict between order and chaos and the feeling that, you know, the, the belief in the will of the force that there is a pattern and a texture to everything where we are all contained, uh, you know, we're, we're all connected, uh, not contained, but connected. And, you know, the force makes sense to Jedi and they can see its movements. And then the Nile just want to rip that apart with just sudden chaos and violence and, the fact that these these teens are wrestling with it in the same way that the adult Jedi are wrestling with it is really powerful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we already mentioned uh, in that uh, in that big discussion of ideas moments we enjoyed, but I wanted to be sure to ask you if there were some other moments that you particularly enjoyed. I got a couple, but I want to hear yours first. I, for some reason, I really enjoyed J6 pulling out all the blasters because I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> right. Because there was so much about like, well, uh, you know, she's really evolved. She's really changed. She's still a bodyguard droid. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff there. Um, there's a ton of too many to list on Avon Staros. Wonderful character. Uh, and and just there's a precocious young genius vibe there. She's 11 and she's kind of already, well, let me tell you how this goes here. But also again, a lot of that comes from, I think, uh, uh, uh being, uh, unfortunately at times pushed out into the real world too soon. You mentioned the kidnapping and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but just a lot of funny moments, a lot of my kind of laughter from the, just the dialogue came from her, uh, and her moments there. And I like a lot of the, 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 the planet, um, I always go, it reminds me, there's, there's, a, there's a good tradition in Star Wars of, just because it's a good tradition in storytelling, of on a weird planet with dangers, and that's where you really learn a lot about yourself. <laughs> uh, Mando, uh, the great Rebels episode with Callus and, and Zev, um, the movie Enemy, Enemy Mine, which might as well be Star Wars uh, from, from the 80s, of uh, you're stuck there and you got to work uh, with those around you. Uh, a lot of that was there. So just a lot of funny, fun moments of exploration mixed in with that as well, including I love the holding the leaves above their uh, head to, to block out the rain with the force. Yeah, the force umbrellas uh, for acid mm-hmm. rain. Is, that's pretty great. Yeah, I need that. Uh, yeah there, for me, there were a couple of just like fun, funny moments uh, I liked. Uh, the observation that uh, that J6 was uh, taking a deep sigh, even though the droid didn't need to breathe, which was quite impressive. <laughs> yes. yes. Very relatable. I like this very, uh, also real world in a good way of, uh, I love the through line of Avon, Avon being after that lightsaber and wanting to study uh, kyber crystals uh, in this particular line on page 131 of Imri laughed a little. Uh, a Jedi's lightsaber is very personal. It's kind of like asking to borrow someone's underclothes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I thought that was super mm-hmm. funny. Um, we talked a lot about there's a lot of great, uh, you know, uh, dark side thoughts. You know, anger is fine, but acting solely on it is is the dark side. Acting on it, um, I thought that was great. Uh, man, did I love the description of Douglas Sunvale. Um, 
Yeah. Tall and effusive, pale and unkempt beard, prefers plain robes. Uh, his tabard, his fancy tabard that he had to wear is wrinkled. I just, I love a sloppy Jedi, Ken. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're a well-kept man. Are you seeing yourself seen, though, a little bit here? Is mm. is this on a Friday? Yeah, I I uh, create a good illusion of being uh, <laughs> of being well kept, but uh, uh, there's a there's a constant battle in my soul uh, between clean and sloppy, and sloppy often wins. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, and it's just like he he's he's portrayed as such a lovable, kind uh, person who's like I really care about people and ideas and. I forgot my holster for my lightsaber. Do I really need it? Come on. That's not my focus. Mm. You know, it's the, it's, it's kind of a fun jokey thing of a sloppy Jedi, but there's also just some like truth and heart to it that I find really beautiful. Mm. Um, last thing for me is this, uh, I think you were referencing it earlier, uh, uh, a thing where their Renestra's not being entirely, uh, honest, uh, mm. with Avon, uh, when she's reflecting on how, uh, Imri had tried to move the rock, but he had failed and lost control of it. So she had to give it that big push and then it crashed into the pirates. And that's what stranded them on Weevo and uh, allowed them to find out what was actually going on. And she has this uh, this thought that the force naturally bent toward justice while in balance. And those pirates would have gotten away with their misdeeds if it hadn't been for that giant rock destroying half their ship. Mm. <laughs> I just thought that was a really interesting, you know, sometimes we can take a thing that we read in a Star Wars book. It's like, ah, that's how the force works. And I always try to remember, like, that's how this Jedi thinks the force works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really liked that. That was Renestra's view of view of like when it's in balance, the force naturally has good things happen or, or things that bend toward justice, you know? Mm-hmm. I no, I love, really cool. I love that moment. Uh, I, I was going to, one of those, another quote I didn't write down. It was a weird weekend. Um, no, because it, it goes to the, it goes to the last Jedi speech of Luke and, and uh, the balance in the force is a great podcast topic. It's a great think piece uh, to write about. Uh, to, to, to It's something to debate. Uh, but I, I like what you said is it could be also down to the indiv- individual perspective, but also there's a, a through line and the through line is, uh, you know, when darkness rises, light will meet it because uh, when the dark side is used to uh, snuff out the light, that's when it's in balance. And so this is just a real simple way to look at it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that, that feeling that, that connection that Jedi seem to have to, to intuition that, you know, that's a fun thing to think about of was that utter happenstance or was there something deep in her core where she pushed it at that angle because, you know, on some deep intuitive level through the force, she sensed, (laughs) I got some pirates to smash. Yeah. 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 A fun thing to think about and wrestle with. Uh, Speaking of things we wrestled with, was there anything in this book that just didn't work for you on a subjective level or that you got hung up on wondering or questioning? No, I was really uh, trying to clue clue in myself to all the, uh, just the big deep philosophies and, and the Jedi stuff. And it all is pretty consistent with what's presented in Star Wars and, and it's specifically modern Star Wars, which I think ties directly to not just the movies, but, like conversations George Lucas has had. Yes. I, I don't think they, they move the, the, they don't move too far from that. And, and this, so, so I didn't uh, wrestle with anything, but I was ready to, I'm always ready to, when someone says, well, this is the force 
says that we Jedi must, and this book had a lot of that, but you and I have just discussed them. Clearly, I'm not questioning them anymore and didn't, but I was ready to, you know, you're ready to like check it, like put it up against the board. Does this <laughs> tie that string? Does it go? And, and it all works and, and uh, well done. And there were High Republic, two novels in so far. It's 200 years prior, but they're written now, meaning now in 2019, 20, 21. And there's a very modern style to the presentation of the characters, whether it be dialogue and everything. And I haven't, uh, I haven't had a problem with it yet. You know, but I'm, I, you and I, I think sometimes, and a lot of Star Wars fans, we can clue into that. I always go to the big ass door thing. Did we, did we want Poe to say that? Let's do a 12 part series. Um, and both these books so far are very modern in their presentation, but it's, it's working for me. It's, I don't need it to feel like what was 200 years ago for the Jedi where they say in the becometh. I don't, I don't need that. I am thankful not. No, I really agree with you. I think one of the big triumphs of this era so far is it is extremely clear that everyone involved from all of these great writers to the story group to, you know, I think Kathleen Kennedy and Dave Filoni and everybody, it really does feel like, um, if we're going to tell the big epic tale of when the Jedi were at their height, we need to know what that means. And that yeah. means having a real handle on big picture force philosophy. Of course, it's going to differ a little bit from Jedi to Jedi. We're going to, uh, you know, present some different points of view, but you know how the dark side works, you know, what is the light and why do you go toward it? Some of those real big picture philosophy stuff, they feel really locked in, in what, Lucas created, uh, and, and you know, you can find some great interviews where he, he spells it out pretty clearly yeah. <laughs> and, it, and yeah. it feels like you are, uh, you are absolutely right that this whole era is attuned to that. Well, also, you know, having fun, different perspectives and questioning, but it's attuned to the absolute heart of the, the force and, and the value of the light. Indeed. Uh, the only thing for me uh, was great because it was something I was struggling with at the first half of the book and then it went away. Uh, I think it's, we're in a difficult era at this point with so many uh, fun, uh, quirky droids that sometimes they can feel like they're not breaking new ground. And at first I was like, I, I feel like I've seen J6 before. But when it got to about halfway through and J6 was having that moody teen moment where like, I'm also thinking things and I won't tell you what they are. Like mm. that, that was great because that really tied this droid to that idea of, coming of age, uh, you know, and, and it made me really, really like, uh, the droid by the end of the book. Love it. Yeah. Good droid. And, and yeah, well, we'll talk about canon connections here. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back for the uh, second half, a shorter half since we've already gone a while on some of the great action moments and the canon and the lore and all that. We'll be right back. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. discussion of a test of courage the great high republic book by justina ireland uh we always like to talk favorite action moments in uh these books 
uh, there wasn't, I would say, as much sort of like, it's a duel, like, uh, combat, but there was a lot of uh, force use and a lot of big uh, action, exciting moments. So, again, for you, what were some of your faves? I mean, again, I'd like to submit the umbrella leaves as an action. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah, I'll take it. It was a choice. They had they exerted power and energy to do that. Uh, I actually did the lightsaber fight. I'm glad you pointed out that it was kind of uh, it, it was it was quick. It was it was served its purpose, and, and they didn't dwell on it. And I think your your themes uh, and lessons behind that fight were well said. I did like the moment, and again, I, I I'm I'm a light whip. I remember was it the Bane? One of the characters in the Bane novel because I've only read the first one. I apologize, everyone. Um, it has a light whip, right? I'm like, okay, you know, I, I, I can, I can get behind that. Like, let's just have different versions of lightsabers, but I'm not a huge fan of it. And this time when it showed up, so I was like, oh, here we go. Am I going to list this and things I questioned and wrestled with? But it, it, no, it worked really well, and I love what it represented as well. So I, lo- I like that uh, scene. But the other one, I, you know, I hate to see you list it as an action moment. The destruction of the steady wind was very cinematic. And talk about Douglas, and and you love uh, Douglas already. Um, I thought his sacrifice was was really big to me. Like it, it felt Star Wars big, and and part of a, a, a you know the history of these characters now going forward. It was really well written with just the feeling that shoved to the chest, and just kind of seeing him through the doorway of just like, no kids, get over there, it's safe, and then the door clamps down. Is like it's heroic, but also sudden and sad. It was really well done. So I, I hate to champion that as an action moment, but it was pretty action packed. So. It is an action moment. Yeah. Uh, I had two that I really gravitated toward uh, that, that whole fight with, uh, with Vern, when she springs into action and realizes like, I'm not, I am not uh, killing these pirates, but they are a risk and I am not hurting Emery to the best of my ability, but he needs to be stopped. And, you know, it is fun to just feel from her perspective. It's just like the, uh, it just threw him extremely far over the ship in the, Oh yeah, 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 and there's no, you know, it's it's not that I don't love cinematic action. I want there's not there isn't any like I wound up and I put. It's just it has to happen, so I did it, and I yeah. love that. And like, and also just knowing, you know, we didn't really super concentrate on the um, the light whip. You know, we just knew it was happening. And I think in particular of, you know, she it's clear that her blade is a blade because she's blocking blows, blocking blows. And then Emery just feels a cut to his hand and you know that that's the whip, that the whip has come out, right? Yeah. And the whip cutting his blade in half. It is taking something like a light whip, which which could, you know, devolve into a weird kind of power fantasy weapon, right? Uh, and And be celebrated is Vernestra is fearing is like this super nasty thing. But to just see, if, to feel Vernestra embrace it as this is a tool to efficiently end the combat. Just the lightsaber's cut in half. You're not fighting anymore, Emery. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I loved it in terms of just the Star Wars action. I loved seeing it in a different perspective. The other moment I loved is uh, is Vernestra and Emery using the force to push debris away from the shuttle. Uh, I love seeing yeah. all of the uses of force for uh, knowledge and defense. But in particular, there's some passages on page 80, 81. I uh, didn't write them all down, but about Vernestra being exhausted from force use. Um, and uh, this is paraphrasing, but you need to take care of your crude matter. I love seeing that expressed because, you know, I've talked with different people, you know, intense Star Wars fans, casual Star Wars fans, where it's sometimes like, well, why didn't this person do this with the Force then? And this is the mm-hmm. way I've always liked it, of like, the Force is an endless power. 
that you have to channel through your weak mortal body. And that is exhausting. And you can only do so much at a time. You know, even Yoda, who is proving that anything is possible when he lifts the X-Wing, he's not like (laughs) flips the finger and then walks away. (laughs) You know, he's there and he's steady and he's concentrating. And I just, I love it when Mm -hmm. the Jedi get to be as powerful as their imaginations, but they are still limited by where they choose to use that energy. I, I love that. It's almost a separate conversation. Maybe we will do the powers of the force <laughs> force center episode. I think entire generations of fans have forgot that Yoda slumps back tired and exhausted. Yeah. I really. And it's yeah. so you, you want to jam on that X button to use your super force powers in the video game of life. Like you forget that Yoda's like, Oh, yeah, I did it, but I'm going to need a snack. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I need to make more stew. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. So some absolutely great action moments with uh, great thoughts on Star Wars action. Let's move on to some of the kind of canon lore moments or ideas. Uh, this is not a complete list. I try to jot things down that I think are interesting as uh, I roll through. Uh, so this is something that we've discussed uh, recently. I think we had a great question on the News and Cues episode about Jedi Trials, and I love that this book was... Uh, just explicit. Sure, there are other places in canon as well, but this one jumped out to me that trials are all different for Jedi. Do you like that idea that the trials are a set thing, but what the trials are depend on who you are and what you need to work on? Oh, I love it. I love it. And, and you know, I almost wonder, because uh, even um, the, the first issue of the High Republic comic touches on this as well. Yeah. I always wonder, if it's, is it is it uh, 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 almost a running joke of like, are you ready for the trials? And then no one ever gets to the trials because the trials are what you face out and about. <laughs> and, and I just love this idea. You know, will we get it one day? Will, will the textbook emerge of here are the trials? It involves, uh, you know, it's actually the Jedi Temple challenge. It's a it's a video. It's a <laughs> um, but I love that because that's just that's just very that's just life, you know, um, and I love that. Yeah, I love the idea that even if there are sort of uh, codified, yeah, here, here's you got to solve this puzzle and slide down this rope that even yeah. if it's that it's still like, yeah, but if you're afraid of snakes, the rope is going to be made of snakes, you know, kind of specificity yeah. is so great uh, between that master Padawan relationship. Um, I just, I'm just sorry, I just would love it. It's a, just a lie perpetuated uh, by every master, and it's a secret you get to pass on to your Padawan. Oh, you need trials. Ooh, get ready to duck. But really, it's about what you're going to face at lunch. Yeah, like uh, uh, spoilers for that first High Republic uh, issue of the of the the High Republic comic, and then there's the High Republic Adventures comic. But the first issue of the High Republic comic, it, it does totally have that vibe of uh, Jedi trials. Almost as like um, like uh, uh, gotcha camera shows, right? <laughs> of like we've we've installed a hidden camera and we've told uh, Kiev yeah. that this is her Jedi trial, but her Jedi trial is actually this. <laughs> it's a really funny idea. Uh, I love that Avon wants to study kyber crystals and has a theory that you could use them for other things, and then by the end. And what I feel like should probably have some ramifications steals <laughs> Emery's uh, broken, uh, cut in half, uh, whipped in half lightsaber blade. Uh, mm-hmm. I just love the intersection of the science and the mystical there. That Avon's mm-hmm. a really brilliant person who, who for her, science isn't a list. It's a let me break things and see what I can learn by how they shatter kind of scientist. Yeah. Um, it's a great intersection between the science and the mystical. And it has this connection, I think, to like 
uh, uh, Galen and Lyra Urso, that Galen's like a scientist of uh, kyber crystals and Lyra was like a collector who understood them on a more spiritual level. What did you yeah. take from Avon wanting to study kyber crystals? I'm not saying it's anything nefarious or suddenly Avon is the dark scientist uh, for the Sith that we all wanted. No, you know, I, I, I think it's really interesting. I love that. And I love that we are in a time period 200 years prior where, you know, Bacta is being manufactured and developed and tested and all these things that we just know in Star Wars or come to know in Star Wars, especially in the modern era where, where I think kyber crystals coming out of the Clone, War, Clone Wars animated series are a little more in focus. And um, uh, I, I was intrigued by that. I'd love to see where that goes. You know, yeah, just, I'm really curious to see where, where they take it in the High Republic era. And even if it doesn't really go anywhere, I love that there is yeah. a logical curiosity of uh, the Jedi are all walking around with oh, this yeah. mystical power source. Of course, scientists are want to go, what else can we do with that? Yeah, and I don't need it to necessarily be, but like, you know, maybe next book she meets uh, the great, 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 great grandfather of, of Orson Krennic, you know, Bob. <laughs> uh, and he's a young sci scientist like, hey, do those crystals do something? Yeah, I'd love that, but I also don't need that. But because you're right, because it's it, it inspires that kind of uh, headcanon almost. Right. Hey, Bob Krennic, I think we could torture these to make a big laser. Great. Yeah. I don't yes. think we'll necessarily see that. Uh, we get this little bit of canon uh, about the Mirlins, uh, the, the culture that they rejoice at a young one being chosen as a Jedi. And I like that that's a moment that Vernestra uh, reflects on the luck that she's had, that she comes from a culture who is entirely supportive of her going off uh, to the Jedi Temple and are, you know, think of her as a, a lucky one, a hero in their culture. Uh, because she uh, is touched by the Force and gets to be a Jedi. What did you think of that uh, cultural idea? I, I think it's great because it's a little justice for the Jedi for me because sometimes you, you can, you know, the way they uh, recruit can be questioned, and I understand that. Um, but to have this uh, this uh, group of fine folks being like, yay, <laughs> just kind of reaffirm my faith in the Jedi a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Justice for the Jedi. And it also just makes me want, like, more. I want to know how all the different cultures... Yeah. feel about it if some of them are like well we don't like it but we accept it or you know if some of them are like uh great but you got to give me money <laughs> you know yeah. yeah you know there's a lot a lot of different approaches uh, uh scrolling through uh to, to find the ones that i think are juiciest uh night night sisters use light whips obviously that is uh from legends but that it was great for me to get a uh, kind of firm confirmation that in this canon Night Sisters are known in the High Republic and probably even older times, that means. How did yeah. you feel about that? I can't wait till Leslie Headland has some light whips and Acolyte. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in fact, going along with that, there's this great uh, moment on page 129 uh, where it says, Night Sisters and Guardians of Javan found mm -hmm. something of value in the chaotic, destructive side of the Force. I love that. Not just the uh, hearing the Night Sisters again and more about them, but Guardians of Javan. Uh, you know, I didn't look at that up if that's a, a Legends thing or new. Uh, but for me, it's like, yep, I want there to be many things like the Night Sisters where other people besides the Jedi and the Sith are going to have views of the Force. And I'm happy to have more of those in canon. And I also like this. Yeah, it's not like the Night Sisters were like Sith who stayed at home. It's that. Mm -hmm they found something valuable in the dark side, which is different than they gave themselves entirely to it and worship anger, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Ooh, well said on that. Uh, and uh, our, our, our pal Alex over Star Wars Explained, uh, that, as always, put this video out about the connections uh, and his notes. And, and he had another one, uh, guy write it for him this time. He gives him credit in the video. Check it out. Javin is not new. It's something that's been out there before, Legends or otherwise. But the Guardians of Javin, brand new. So we're going to get more of that. Ooh, excellent. Uh, one of the most exciting for me, Ken... Uh, mm. Another mention of the Sith Wars, uh, yeah. in particular, uh, testimonies of Serval the Uncanny say <laughs> Jedi used light whips to defend against the Sith Lords who used forbidden forms. Um, you know, a lot of times we talk about Old Republic in general terms, and, you know, for some people that really means a, a specific thing. We've got a couple mentions specifically of the Sith Wars, the big war between uh, the Jedi and the Sith that led to the formation of the Republic that we know. Um, and I, I just, uh, man, I, I really like the specifying that, the war, you know? Yeah. Hey, look, fire up the converters and make some movies. Let's do it, kids. I'm ready for it. And by the way, Serval the Uncanny was great in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He was great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I will see. I, you know, I, I would love uh, that. That's uh, I would love them to do a, a trilogy about the Sith Wars. But if not, it seems like, hey, this High Republic thing goes well. Um, yeah, this, this is what the publishing arm is going to do next. The Sith Wars specifically. Uh, those are some of the kind of the big uh, meteor ones. And then there is a lot of uh, just fun little yeah. uh, canon mentions. Nuna jerky rations. That was nice to know that happens to Nuna. Um, I like the lyric Schmeierland's almanac that he started 300 years ago. He never returned, but messenger droids do. That did feel like straight up uh, out of like a uh, hitchhiker's guide that almost like Schmeierland's almanac was hitchhiker's guide. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I like the mention of the Sand Ghost on Pisana. It's always fun to see uh, things from sequel trilogy being referenced in different timelines. But I also like that, you, you know, it's called the, what, the Forbidden Desert of Pisana. Yeah. So hearing that there's something called a Sand Ghost there allegedly adds to that. Uh, what's forbidden about it? Uh, when Imri is uh, being upset about not being able to become a full Jedi, he believes, and one of the things he mentions is not getting to take the pilgrimage to Jedi, which is cool. And then the last one uh, that uh, I believe was the droid used two knots to tie up the pirates, uh, which was a little um, advertisement for, you know, going to that park and I guess learning how to tie up pirates. <laughs> well, you can you can get Nuna jerky out there at Batu, right, as well? I didn't Probably. Get I didn't get a chance to eat much, much food the day I was there. It was pouring rain and I was drunk at 10 a.m. Uh, thanks to an early <laughs> reservation at that bar there. Um, but yeah, I think it's out there. Okay, okay. I was too busy eating the shack roast, the delicious Nubian butt cow that I had with my drinks. Uh, or not with my drinks, after my drinks. Uh, all right. Any other little canon or lore moments that you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, uh, love, other than the one I mentioned, but uh, um, uh, our droid, oh my gosh, what's the droid's name? I just forgot. I'm learning all these characters. J6, J6. Uh, we do believe this is the, uh, we do believe this is the droid from Moss Castle, right? As we're starting to think that now. Oh, MD-89, I believe. Yeah, um, there, there's some thoughts there because uh, that MD, uh, MD has a, a past link to the Jedi. There's some kind of allusions to that. Yeah. And they design the same. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, I, I'm not saying whether it's, whether it's the same droid or not, I don't know. But, but it, it, it uh, sh I, I think there's a connection there. 
I think all of that is flowing from both that droid in Maz's castle and uh, in J6 having a similar design to Professor Huyang from the Clone Wars mm-hmm. in the Gathering episode. So yeah, I'm, I think that there'll probably be some uh, cohesive coming together of what all that means for that design of droid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, this is a great one. That's very excited for the future of that droid. Um, let's talk about the future, Ken, as we begin to wrap up uh, this uh, epic discussion <laughs> of a pretty short book. Uh, what are your hopes for the future of these characters or, or this story in particular? Are you interested in following Vern and Imri, Avon and J6, uh, Honesty in the in the Dalna? We meet that Quarren uh, uh, Neil member, Kara uh, Zoo, I believe, who's going yeah. to raid Dalna uh, for recruits uh, to her storm. Uh, Dolan children in particular, which is horrible. Are there any of those stories that you're more excited about? I want a book called House Staros from Sena to Avon or Avon and Sena. I, uh, I love this uh, this family line. There's a lot of intriguing things in there, a lot of things to deal with. And and Sena Staros is, especially as she's presented in that Dr. Afra audio drama, she is very studious, very smart, very, you know, good student. And, and Afra's kind of the, the crazy wonky one, right? The crazy, uh, crazy Afra, Shelly's going to get you into trouble. And that's kind of their dynamic. But also, Sena's a risk taker. She, by the time we meet up with her in the Marvel comics, she's gone a different route. And, and there's just a lot to that character. I know that's a popular character for a reason, but um, this wasn't just a, a cheap reference to a name we know. Avon Staros is is, uh, is very intriguing, and that family line is intriguing to me. So give me that book there. I also think uh, uh, Vernestra is just an absolute star, a, a, a prodigy for sure, and a very interesting. So all these characters are great, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to following those two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Avon and her adventures with uh, droid evolution and uh, kyber crystal manipulation, eh, that's some pretty intriguing stuff. And yes, I I do trust this team that it's not just, "Eh, we've given them a name. Like, no, there are going to be real connections there, which is really fun. I think for me, I'm most intrigued by Vernestra and Imri that, you know, that Padawan moment was a um, a great resolution to both of their arcs, but I, one of the things that I'm really fascinated by is this idea that, it, you know, what did it do to Obi-Wan to not ever really get to be a Jedi Knight of his own? He just went immediately from mm-hmm. Padawan to uh, being the, you know, parent figure of the Chosen One. And Vernestra being 16 years old and like, yeah, I'm I'm a prodigy, but I kind of have my head screwed on straight about being a prodigy. And I, yeah. I, I am I am 16 and I, I just uh, accomplished my first mission as a Jedi Knight. Uh, but the force is leading me this way. Imri needs me, so uh, I will be his teacher. Uh, that's a really juicy story to me. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Uh, yeah, again, she's a star, but uh, and I don't like I don't want to see her fall. You know, like I want like how does she continue to grow and influence those around her in a positive way and an important way? It'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you think Vernestra's light whip has a greater destiny? Because she has that moment where, you know, it, it came to her in kind of an intuition, a, a meditation, a dream. And then she's wondering kind of why she made it and what's it for. And then she's wondering, like, maybe it was to help cut through uh, this jungle and get us to safety. But do you think that was it or do you think there is something more? Well, now I'm I'm backing off my words. She becomes a night sister. Duh. There you go. <laughs> no, I don't know. 
Uh, I have no true expectations of the character other than I want to see more. No, I think it is. Cause I think, I think, again, I think for me, I really took a lot of what it represents um, that this is kind of this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light whip of mine. I'm gonna <laughs> let it shine. And I thought that was good. Again, it was, it was not done as a, as a video game. It was not done as a, as a cool figure with a light whip. And uh, this was talked about and approached in a different way. And I really loved how it was presented. So yeah, I hope so. And, and exactly what you're tying to specifically of like, I don't know. I just, this, came to me um yeah that's that that's potentially really powerful yeah yeah so i i love what it what it, it represents of the importance of following intuition mm-hmm. uh and do you open up parts of yourself that you don't understand on a conscious level but are very true of yourself and i feel like that story is really well told uh, in this book and you highlighting it really well uh i admit i'm going to almost a more nerdy place of i i since this book establishes that the light whip is far more efficient at cutting down a jungle to get to safety, that makes me think of, you know, the other villain we have coming uh, is the the Dringier, right? The, the mm-hmm. sentient evil plants and thinking like, is a light whip good against sentient evil plants? Ooh, ooh, it's good. And I, I was expecting the Dringier to show up in this book. I really was. Once they hit that hit that uh, planet that the weave, I was like, oh, it was perfect. This is perfect. But not not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, and we know that they're coming. I don't think you, either you or I have cracked uh, Cloudy Gray's Into the Dark. I know I think people, uh, it came out uh, one day, and the next day I was seeing some tweets and getting some tweets. I think uh, people have uh, really uh, taken that one in quickly, so we, we look forward to getting to that one as well. Uh, here's my final question for you, Ken, on the future of these characters. It's kind of a question about the future, but kind of a question about the past. Do you want a Master Douglas Sunvale prequel novel? I mean, for your sake, I hope we get one. Sir. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, you know, yeah, you, you, this, this whole series is kind of a prequel to what we know, right? So, do we get prequels to the prequels to the prequels? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, no, this is what you know. You need to start at the you know, most central part of your story. You need to jump into the second act. I think that's where we are, where we are going with the High Republic. But yeah, there's so many wonderful character characters. I want young Porter Ingle for sure. Give me hundred year old Porter Ingle. Uh, so Douglas, and plus, as we talked about before, with Alex, Douglas is a great Jedi. Yeah, I mean, I did. Yeah, when I when I read, just uh, there's a Jedi named Douglas. Like uh, that was at first. I was, oh, now now this this Jedi, that's his name. That's he's a Douglas. He's a real Douglas, and I I want to see a. Not that we aren't getting enough adventures, but it's a tribute that all the characters are interesting, and I would be happy to see uh, an earlier life adventure of uh, Douglas Sunvale at the the height of the sloppy republic <laughs> yeah yeah uh any anything that we have not talked about that you had in your notes that you wanted to touch on uh no nothing big just overall thoughts again uh we're, we're spending time on this book for a reason and not just because we feel we need to keep covering every little corner of the high republic i just we both were getting through and we wanted to pay pay the book the respect it deserves it's really good and it's a really good continuation of something that's uh, uh you know so big and, and started with such fanfare and and this uh, this book was very rewarding. I don't know if I'll always sit down and read every middle grade Star Wars book ever. Uh, I don't know that, but uh, this is um, this is this was really really good. And uh, my first real exposure, I think I, I poked around uh, uh, her other what the, Spar- the Sparker of Resistance one. Uh, and this is the first time I really really sat with Justine Ireland, and I really loved her work. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, really enjoyed this book. And I think, you know, much like uh, The Jedi and the Force, we're just going to take this uh, one one book at a time, one moment at a time, and see what all we end up covering, because it is just a lot uh, of content. Even though we're excited about it, it is a lot to absorb and process and discuss. So uh, we will see uh, what all we keep covering. But, you know, once we got started on this, I think we both just really felt like this book is really, really great. It is just as much of an introduction to this era, these ideas uh, as Light of the Jedi and really an important part of this launching moment of the High Republic. So we wanted to be sure to spend some time on it. And boy, did we. Another long episode, Ken. Uh, So let's head towards a fun question to wrap up. If you were a Jedi, would you keep your Jedi robes neat and pressed? No, I, I just can't. (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm not a ragamuffin, but you know, I, I for a while I was known when I first started coming on the scene with the schmoes and everything. I, I wore suits. That was because I came from a, straight from my job, and I was a suit. And I love suits and I love ties, but I also don't love ironing. And until recently, really didn't get clothes that fit perfectly well. So I'm a bit of a ragamuffin, despite uh, what I want to be, or in spite of myself, my intentions. So no, I would be a Jedi. They'd be like, did you just wake up? No, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> I am right there with you. Uh, I, I love suits, but they are uh, not my uh, my natural habitat. As much as I wish they were, I think I would want dark black Jedi robes. Not because I am tempted by the dark side, but because they hide the wrinkles better. That's <laughs> my uh, Jedi robe truth. Ken, where can people find us? Hey, you can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We are also on Instagram and YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcast available on a lot of different spots, including Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now Amazon Music. Uh, merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. Support the show, help us grow, and a lot of wonderful things there, including getting into our Discord community. Uh, you can follow me at Ken Napsock go to kennapsock.com. Also go to the gpa.fun if you want to join the Good People Association, a new uh, program and company I've launched with Josh McGuga and Mark Riley. Excellent. And you can find uh, me and all my stuff, Twitter and Instagram, at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all my other comedy adventures. In particular, coming up on Valentine's Day, I'm doing a fun comedy variety show online with my friends, The Double Clicks. There is uh, tickets and info for that on my website, josephscrimshaw.com. Just scroll down just a very tiny bit, and you will find the ticket link. But for now, for myself, uh, for Ken for beautiful, kind, sloppy master Douglas Sunvale. This has been Force Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.